get, so we can get to know you, but it really hits what I want to talk about is, is how God's Word is at work in our life and, and how we can grow. So this is sort of a transition. You knew, we have a new image on, this, on the screen. Um, we're starting a new series. So if you were with us from the last fall, we did the, the one where we went through the entire uh, Bible, uh, an overview of the Bible, big story, and I encourage people to do the 100 essential readings, but still, I, truthfully, I'm still, I didn't finish yet. I'm, I'm most the way there, but maybe you are as well. I'd, I'd encourage you to, to try to get through that, the idea of getting the big picture of what is God's Word saying. So my goal there was to help you get to, to hear and understand. But now we're, we're switching almost to the opposite way. The next five weeks, we're going to be looking at James, and we're going to be digging in more in depth in, into this and zeroing in, and what James is going to challenge us on is putting the word into practice, right? It's fine to, to gain this mental understanding. It's good to try to think things out and see the big picture, but what matters is how is it going to change our life? So the main idea... Say it right out. The value of God's word comes not just in hearing, but in doing. Not just in understanding, but how it shapes the practices of our life. If all we ever do is listen and hear, but it doesn't begin to impact how we live, then we've missed something. I'm convinced God's word is of great value. I want to start, before I jump into James, I just want to start with Psalm 19. Um, there's not going to be much on the screen today. There'll be a few little blips, but you know that your uh, your sermon handout. So the the psalm there in Psalm 19 tells us talks about how valuable is God's word in the different ways. So Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. God wants to speak into your life, and hearing what God has to say to you is of more value than anything this world has. And when you hear God's word, and, and you see understanding starts to come and you see how it can can shape your life there's a sweetness in that i want you to catch that i want you to learn how to whether it's sunday morning sermons whether it's your personal devotions or or group bible studies wherever it is that you 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 could speak for yourself the sweetness of god's word we we kind of use uh um a short shortcut when we talk about the word, right? And, and that we've used that phrase a lot. When we talk about God's word to people, it, it's really encompassing a few things. One, it's, it's the scriptures, the written word, the Bible. So we have God's, the, the written word that we read and study. But we also mean when we're talking about the spoken word as, as we're engaging in this morning, right? We're taking the word, we're expounding upon it. What does it mean? So it's the word spoken, taught into our lives that, that comes from God. But then we're also talking about the word as the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. 
the word of the Holy Spirit. So, so as we, we study and read, God's Spirit is, is active, and it can say, pay attention to this. This is for you. We actually need to understand the word. We need God's spirit to open our minds to what God's saying. So when we're talking about the word, it's how God wants to speak into our lives through all these mechanisms. And I want to illustrate how it's not just about hearing it, but it's, it's what we do with it that is the most important and so I want to talk about, we had, we had a trip this summer to the Rocky Mountains our, as a family, and we drove through Rocky Mountain National Park. And if you ever get a chance to do this, if you've never done it, it is, it is worth doing, right? It takes, there's a road that takes you up to the, the, the high point, and we, we did that, then we hiked up further. But I will confess, it freaked me out. Like, driving, there is no guardrails, as you're driving through these things, Ben thought it was a someone should be sued because, like, there, because you you just felt like it was nerve wracking. And I confess, I probably was driving a little little slower than people wanted to pass me. I'm like those idiots. How how, how could how could anyways? So, um, I give this for a point. Imagine, you know, this is imagine you're driving something like this, and it's dark and it's hard to see, and you can't tell that you are on the, the edge of a cliff and maybe you're heading towards a, a sharp turn and if you would miss that turn, you would plummet off the cliff. There's an old little SNL skit um, called Toonses the Driving Cat for any of so and, and every time that they let their cat drive, and the, each little thing ends with Toonses driving off a cliff and the car exploding. And that's what I was picturing driving this. So imagine that's what you're heading towards, right? But you don't know it. You don't realize you're heading towards this cliff. A sign that read something like this would be very valuable. A sign that says, you're heading toward a cliff. Hit the brakes and make a sharp turn left, right? That would be a valuable sign. But in and of itself, it will do you no good right, if it doesn't change how you're driving. So if the sign's there, but you don't see it or read it, right, then what do you do? You know, you go over the cliff. If, if you see the sign and read it, but you don't believe it, oh, that government's just always putting up signs everywhere, right, you know, and so then go, go, you know, if you read the sign, you even believe it, but you don't think it applies to you. Oh, yeah, that other guy, he really needs to read that sign. But it doesn't change you, right? All these things. If you read it, believe it, think it applies to you, but your brakes don't work, and you can't make a change in your, your life, right? Or even if your brakes work, and you read and understand it, but for some reason your arms go to the right instead of the left, yeah, exactly. So, so do you see where I'm going with this? It says in, in uh, uh, Psalm 19, right, right after we the part that I read earlier, it says, Moreover, by them, by your word, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Right? The, the God's word warns us, and it points us to a way of salvation. We'll talk when we get to James how it says... It says this word is able to save us. And, and the, the good news of the message of God 
is that there is a path of salvation. So God has given us the sign that points us to how to avoid going over the cliff, the danger of facing eternal condemnation when eternal life is available to us. But we need, it's, it won't do us any good if we have the sign, if we have the word, but we don't see or read it. Right? If we, if we, life's too busy and I don't have time to really read and think about this, then we're going to go over the cliff. Or if you read it, but you don't believe the sign, right? Oh, I, don't, I don't think this, this is the truth. I, I, ha, I can find truth from some other source. Well, then it's not going to do you much good. Or if you think the sign does not apply to you. Oh, yeah, someone else really needs to. You know how many times I've given a sermon and says, Oh, my brother-in-law, he totally needs to hear what you were talking about. Right? We always see how other people need the sign. But what about us? And then not only do we need to, to see it and we need to realize it applies to us, we need to have the ability to make a change. Right? If the brakes don't work, then we still go over the cliff. We, we may not feel able to change. And the good news is that in the Word, God gives us the power to, to make the change. God himself recognizes that we ourselves don't, don't have the ability to, to, to fix everything. We need the power beyond us, but the word itself accounts for that. Um, and then if you read it and understand it, but you don't follow through, right? You say, well, yeah, maybe I should turn. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe, you know, and you, you never actually go through it. So the value of God's word for us, the salvation of eternal life, means we not only got to read it, we got to believe it, we got to see how it applies to us, we got to have the ability to make the change, and we got to follow through by putting those changes into practice. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So James 1, our main passage, we're also going to touch on the one from Paul. That is the point that James wants to make. He says, the word of God has value not only when you receive it, but when you do it. Not only being a hearer of the word, but a doer as well. And I'm going to have four different ways that it's valuable, four different things that James says. And then I'm going to add one from 2 Timothy that I, I think is important. So, so we end up have five main points out of this. So verse 18, in there it talks about how the, the, the scriptures are the true word that gives birth to a new thing in us. So if, you, if you're following along in your Bible or on your handout, it says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. So digging into that, of, of his own will, it's talking about how it's of his own purposes, of his own plans. God has a plan by which people may be saved. God brought about that plan. Uh, uh, Miss Susan was, you know, the th what she said to the kids, like, Christ gave his life for us. That's the plan by which salvation is there. And, and when we come to the, the message of that, the word of truth, that does a work within us. It says that he brought us forth. That, that little phrase, brought us forth, is translating a word that basically says birth. He births us into something new. 
And that totally catches to what Jesus talked about. It, Jesus says, if, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, the kingdom of God, you must be born again. God has to do a work within us. The work of regeneration or new birth. He has to bring. Otherwise, we don't have the power to, to turn left. Otherwise, the brakes don't work. He has to birth something in us, and it makes us a new kind of creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about how uh, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God does that work, of, and that makes us a part of this, this plan. So it says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So when James was writing his, his letter, the church was mainly Jewish people, right? The, the, the message was just starting to go to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And, and if you read the beginning of James's letter, he says he's aiming it. It's addressed to the, the 12 tribes who have been dispersed. So James kind of has in, has in mind, he's talking to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. And he's saying to them... We are the first fruits. God is birthing this new thing in us, um, knowing that there'll be a greater harvest as, as more and more people, the Gentiles, then also begin to engage this. So the new thing he does for us is like a light that God puts on a stand that then shows others this, this path of salvation as well. That's the first one, the true word that gives birth to a new thing within us. Then in verses 19 to 21, it, it, the, the phrase comes, the implanted word that is saving our souls. It says we are to receive with meekness, with humility, with humbleness. We, we need to receive with a sense of being willing to hear what God has to say. The implanted word which is able to save our souls. You see, God plants his word within in our minds, in our hearts, as we start to learn it. He, he has to, again, do that work within. And so Jesus always described the word as, what, a, a seed. What do you do with the seed? You plant it, right? And so it begins to grow in our lives. But this planted word is able to save our souls. What's it saving our souls from? Well, it tells us, filthiness and rampant wickedness. <laughs> the word filthiness is literally the word for dirt. The, the earth, right? The dirt is earth. We live in a world full of ways to sin and do wrong. We live in a world that will aim us, that will, will send us towards what is wrong, towards destruction. Um, and... God is perfect in his holiness and righteousness. This world is just about the opposite. And if we live in this world, we cannot help but get dirt on us. Right? I, as I was preparing the sermon, I'm sometimes looking up stuff online, and there's these little boxes that, like, I know if I click on them, they will lead me to bad places. They, they put little pictures that are enticing in those, those boxes on the side, or, or Facebook will offer these, these videos, right? Now, now it's like, oh, look at this. And, and they, they make it enticing, right? In James 1, or, 
earlier in James, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured, enticed by his own desire. So the desire is within me, but the world we live in wants to, to give us plenty of opportunities. And, and all of us end up with dirty feet. That's why Jesus says we need to have our feet washed. We need to be cleansed. We need the word of God to be at work in us. And, you know, that, how, that filthiness, how does that look in our lives? Well, what did Isaiah say? When Isaiah came into the presence of God and saw God in his perfect holiness, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. So he recognized his own sin, but then what does it say? And I live among a people of unclean lips. Oftentimes the junk, the corruption of this world is shown in our words. So verse 19 it says, know this, beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does it produce instead? The anger of man produces all the filthiness and rampant wickedness of this world. We live in a world that will amp us up. The voices we get on, I'd say the radio or TV, but I know now it's more YouTube and, and whatever, whatever we're taking in, those voices are, are meant to produce fear and anger in you. That's how they hook you. They want to get you more and more angry at this side or the other side. Oh, did you hear what so-and-so said? Oh, can you believe what this, this politician did or did not do? It's all about getting us more and more angry. But realize this, the anger of man does not produce good fruit. Does not produce God's righteousness. Maybe in the moment that anger feels right and justified, but it doesn't produce God's, God's um, goodness out of it. But what can? Let us receive with meekness. The implanted word. If you sit and listen and watch, listen to your podcast on the news stuff, and I'm speaking to myself as much as any of you, believe me. If you, you know, are you going to feel then more at peace and joy when you hear about all the, if you watch the news, or is it going to feel, oh man, this world's, this world's over, you know? But what if you turn instead his word? Does that have the ability to, to bring you into the peace of God? The implanted word that's saving our souls. The third one I want to do. And here's the key, key image of James. The revealing word that shows us our true face. He gives the example of the word being like a mirror. A mirror that shows us what we really look like. It says the, you know, the man who looks in the word and then forgets what he looks like is someone who doesn't put it into practice. But this word can, can reveal things that we can't see otherwise. When we read God's word, the stories, the laws, the, the things, we're meant to apply them in our own heart and life. When Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, we 
We, we don't say, oh, they were really bad. No, we need to say, what about them is true about me? When Jesus corrects his own disciples, we need to think, man, those stupid disciples, how could they get this wrong? We need to think, yeah, do I, am I ever like that? Right? That's how God's word can show us truth about ourselves. So I've already quoted Psalm, Psalm 19, it says, um, where it says in verse 11, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. The next verse says this, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. We are not very good at seeing the faults, the errors, the sins of ourselves. We're really good at seeing it in other people. We have crystal clarity. When someone does us wrong, when someone says something that, that offends us, we, we are, we're on that. But we are much less astute at, at our errors, our own errors, or how what we say might be offensive to someone else. And Jesus talked about that. He says, you know, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? That little tiny thing you can see really well, but you can't see the log in your own eye? Right? That's not going to work. There is a, 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 well, it's possible to go through life and think, I'm, I'm fine, right? I don't need to turn away from the cliff. My life is heading in a good direction. I, I've, I've got it all down. I'm good enough. We might look in the mirror and say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me, right? That, that's, that's what the world will tell you to think about yourself. You're beautiful as you are, right? Um, there's a great rock song from the 70s, maybe 60s, uh, Norman Greenbaum. And here's the question. When you die and they lay you to rest, where are you going to go? To the place that's the best, right? And this, this kind of has, this talks about Jesus, so it must be a good song, right? Here, here's the, when, when you die and they lay you to rest, you're going to go to the place that's the best. Never been a sinner. I've never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus, so you know that when I die, he's going to set me up with the spirit in the sky. Now I got that song, and, and about half of you have that song playing in your head. I've had it in my head the whole week, just so you know. Is that good theology? Right? We've never sinned. That's how we know we're a friend of Jesus. No! Right? Knowing Jesus means I actually understand my, the depths of my sin evermore. And that comes through engaging the word. Um, the Word of God can be a mirror that shows us the truth about ourselves. We can see our, our life and our action from an outside perspective. When we encounter God's Word and it speaks to your heart about something that you're doing or not doing, what James is saying, don't shelve that truth. Don't walk away from the mirror and say, ah, I, I, I'll leave that for later. Because what's going to happen? You're going to forget. If God is speaking to you, whether through a sermon, and I believe that can happen, or whether through your personal times, or whether you're in a group Bible study, whatever it is, and, and he's revealing something to you, don't, don't walk away without, without doing something about it, without 
acting on that. Without at least continuing to invest in God, you need to keep, you need to give me clarity. What, what am I seeing? What, what needs to change in my life? Lest you be a hearer of the word only and not a doer. I would encourage you to journal as you read God's word. Um, I keep these little composition notebooks. I might have a hundred of them buried in my house because I've, throughout my life, I just, okay, what am I reading today? And sometimes I only write just a little bit, but it's like, how does God, it, it helps me tune into not just what I'm reading, but what God is saying to me about that reading. The fourth thing is the word is a liberating word that sets us free to do good in the world. So these two are kind of mixed together in the passages that I've taught, but verses 25 and 27 says, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Is that how most people see the, the laws of the Bible? As the law of liberty, right? Isn't the complaint, oh, the Bible's going to keep, if you follow the Bible, if you know Jesus, you don't get to have any fun, right? It's going to, it's going to take away your opportunities for, for experiencing life. It's not a thing that sets you free. It's a thing that puts chains on you. But what, what I would suggest is when we understand it, and especially in the light of Christ, that when it says looks into the perfect law, that word perfect is, is means made complete. So it's talking about the law in the light of Jesus, now that he has fulfilled it, and now that we know that following the law means following Jesus, right? Walking with him. That law sets us free to, to do as, as we are created to do, to live in the, the way that, that God made us to live. And if we're not doing that, our heart is deceived. If we're, if we're reading the Bible, but it's not shaping how we live, then we're it says we're, he deceives his heart. And it says your religion is worthless. Your, your, um, it says we're blessed in our doing, not just the hearing. Now, it talks about religion. And I know the response of some to that is, dude, I'm not into religion. You know, I'm just into spiritual stuff, right? Well, don't get caught up in the word religion in this case. What, what James is saying when he's talking about this religion, he's saying religion is the word we use for how we structure our beliefs into actions. So when he's, he's using that in this case, at least, the religion he's talking about, and he says religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The, the religion that God wants us to, to, to practice, what does it say? It says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In fact, it gives us three things if, if, about religion. One, it earlier talked about you bridle your tongue. Two, you visit orphans and widows. And three, remain unstained by the world. And what James is saying is that if your religion allows you to keep wallowing around in the dirt of this world, it's, it's, it's not worth very much. It's not valuable. If your religion doesn't, doesn't lead you in these three areas, bridle your tongue, how you speak to others, we as followers of Christ, we should, our, our words are, are huge, and, and the Scripture should change how we speak to others. The, the other thing, visit orphans and widows. We should have concern for the hurting and the left out in society, right? 
Um, and then third, to remain unstained by the world. We recognize we live in a world of corruption, and we have to be careful that we don't allow that to, to, to fall into our lives. The last thing I want to talk about with the word briefly is, is what Paul adds, and that is the, the correcting word that equips us to serve God. So the Apostle Paul in his letters would not disagree with anything James wrote. And he would say, the scriptures are God-breathed, right? The, the, they gave us this because God wants to breathe, speak into our life, right? And they're useful. What are they useful for? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's how God acts upon his people to lead them in the right direction. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then the last verse so that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says this word will equip you to, to make a difference, to live him, to serve, to serve him in this world, to, to do the things God's calling us to do. Question is, how will we receive the word? talks about that we are to receive in humility the word that can save your soul. This is a mirror. Are we ever using it to assess our own life? To assess how we're living? In the three areas where it talked about um, at the end of the, our passage in James, right? Your speech. In your speech, is there ever anger, boasting, Gossip, falseness, the word can help show us where our speech needs to change. How about in your life practices? Are you actually doing things for people in need, for other people? Or are you just taking care of your family and your, your own? Right? What are you actually doing? Are you visiting the orphans and widows or people who are hurting? Right? Or are you just getting by taking care of yourself? In your entertainment, the things you watch, are you allowing your heart to become stained by the things of this world? This is a mirror. Let's use it. Let's not forget what we looked like. I just want to close the, as the worship team comes up. The last three verses in Psalm 19, I want to read these slowly. And, and I want you to think about them. Um, you could read along at the, on your sheet. It's the last three from verses 12 to 14. But just allow God to speak into your life. What needs to, to, to happen in your own heart and life? But who can discern their own errors. Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, 
my rock and my redeemer. Father, I, I pray that this, this, this psalm would be true for us and that, that we would grow in you as, we, as the seed of your word grows in our lives and that we would have lives and, and words that are pleasing in your sight. And we pray that you would do this work in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing our closing song, Thy Word.
so in a second, I'll, I'll close the service with prayer, but we, we do have a short meeting. Anyone can stay um, if you are choosed. We expect it to be fairly short. We're just presenting the job description for the children's ministry person we're going to begin to seek this month. And, um, and so, but I, I recognize some are parents, or you might have to, to slip out, um, so you're welcome to do that. But, but let's uh, ask God's blessing to be with us. And, and so, Father, I do pray that your, your hand would be upon each person here. May they go forth in the power and grace, power of the Holy Spirit, and in the grace of the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ be with them as they go. In his name. Amen.